as a delivery product, a lot of you know what investors get concerned about with delivery is can you make it profitable, right? And most people associate DoorDash or Uber, right? And you say, oh, well, the unit economics, it's really tough. You have to have a war chest. Um, my example I always like to point to is we're more like a Domino's pizza um, where we are you know, setting up the supply chain. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Corey Azzolino, COO of Ease. Corey, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Excited for our conversation. As am I, Kellen, how are you doing? Doing really good. Excited to talk to Corey, learn a little bit more about Ease, and uh, kind of help uh, educate the East Coast with another West Coast uh, brand going East, you know? How are you, Brian? I'm doing well. I'm glad we got that one in. Yes, Corey is on the West Coast, but I think Ease and Corey have East Coast aspirations. So uh, we can continue to say that there is opportunities here on the East Coast. So Corey, for our listeners that are unfamiliar, can you give a little background about you? Yeah, sure. A little bit about me, a little bit about uh, Ease. I'll, I'll start with the, the company first. Um, so Ease, for those who don't know, was uh, founded in 2014. Um, really focused on delivery. Um, I think that's really what makes us unique. Um, so I think we are probably the oldest delivery-focused uh, MSO uh, for sure. Uh, we've done over a million uh, deliveries in our history. Uh, or sorry, we've done over 9 million deliveries in our history to over 1 million customers. Um, we've delivered almost a billion dollars uh, in cannabis since inception. Um, so started very, very early in the medical market. Um, and have gone through some twists and turns as anybody who's been in the business since uh, 2014. Um, and where we where we sit now is we are the number one retailer in California um, in terms of just sales. Um, most of that volume um, is through delivery. Uh, about 95% of that volume is through delivery. Uh, we have recently opened two storefronts in California, but that's a recent addition. We also have a business in Colorado uh, that operates under the name Green Dragon. Uh, which is 16 retail stores, uh, which probably makes us around the number three or number four uh, retailer in Colorado. Uh, and then we have an emerging business in both Florida uh, and Michigan. Uh, Michigan is a relatively small delivery-only business um, in the Detroit metro area. Uh, and Florida is where we are uh, investing very, very heavily. Uh, we currently have nine stores approved there. Uh, we expect to get up to over 25 by the end of the year. Um, and that will be retail only to start, but certainly delivery coming. Um, and we actually just had our production facility approved last week. Um, so now in the very near future, we'll have kind of a full product suite and product offering in Florida that we're uh, super, super excited about trying to bring the kind of West Coast, California, Colorado uh, brands to uh, the Florida market. And myself, uh, I've been in the, personally been in the cannabis industry since um, 2017, um, this is the second canvas company I've been a part of. Uh, the last company I was running was acquired by Ease. Um, and that was really when Ease was going from the legacy business model, which was um, as a third-party marketplace. So operating more like a DoorDash where we'd partner with third-party licensed um, retailers um, and operate a marketplace to actually being a license holder, fully vertical, plant-touching business, which happened uh, in early 2020. Um, and we are... Actually, as of this week, uh, we will completely run 100% of our operations in California. We had a legacy partner in State House, who's been uh, a great partner for, for many, many years under the Urban Leaf brand. Um, but we are now just winding down operations with them. 
Um, so we've kind of completed our transition, and now it's really about focus on, focusing on the multi-state uh, opportunity and really going big in the three markets of California, Colorado, Florida, uh, and then just expanding our presence in Michigan. I'm glad you shared all that. And I want to stay with kind of the early days for you in 2017. You know, it cannabis had to have been very different, right, from, from where we are currently today. And obviously, we still have so long to go. So what were those early days like? Did you have hesitancy to kind of move into the cannabis space and take us through the thought process then on, on what it was like? Yeah, so for me personally, um, my background is uh, more in traditional uh, accounting and finance, uh, very much kind of uh, your, your traditional background. Um, I actually started my career as a CPA, so very boring accounting. Uh, worked at a private equity firm um, and then started an entrepreneurial uh, journey um, through tech. Um, and I had exited um, a, a company that I started um, in 2017. It was kind of looking for the next opportunity um, and honestly kind of fell backwards into the industry. I think um, anybody who's been a part of the cannabis uh, industry, whether that's as a consumer and user um, or just studied it from, from business um, side, you know, obviously knows that there's a clear opportunity. It's very um, rare to have a market as big as cannabis with um, that has, you know, had both the, the, the traditional market and, and now the um, new regulated market. Um, and it's weird to, to operate a business where you know that the consumer demand is there. It's, it's already proven, but it's just going through this regulatory shift. Um, so I was very excited by that. And, you know, it's also interesting to look back on what you thought the business was going to be, and specifically in California, um, where I've spent most of my time, versus kind of where it ended up. So back in 2017, um, the company I was um, part of the founding team did two things. One was basically distribution, and two was uh, direct-to-consumer kind of online e-commerce delivery. Um, so very similar to what Ease does now. Um, on the distribution side, at the time, you know, we, we were expecting there to be three to 4,000 um, retailers, which would make delivery, or sorry, I should say distribution, a very, very critical linchpin um, in the supply chain. So we started a distribution company. Um, and, you know, it's interesting to flash forward, uh, you know, almost four years now, and you're still stuck at 850 dispensaries. Um, you know, that is a very tough, tough piece of, of the uh, supply chain, because there's just not as many when, there, when there's only 850 dispensaries. And there, you're slowly starting to see in California consolidation. Um, it's just the, the market just didn't develop quite like we expected. Um, you know, I think at, at the time, people expected there to be commodification of uh, cultivation. I think you're starting to see that now, but early in the market, it was, you know, very, very volatile pricing where in the end of 2020, there was a huge drought. And then in 2021, so only like nine months later, there was a huge oversupply. So to see the whipsawing of the market um, and a lot of really great operators who, who, we became friends with over the years, placed bets in 2020 that were the only bets you could make, which was, okay, we we are a brand, but we have to go vertical because we can't get our hands on any supply to them being in 2021 when they might have bought a farm or they might have gone vertical to, to have the, the pricing absolutely fall out of, out of the, the bottom of the market. Um, it's been an interesting whipsaw. And, and I think you've seen kind of the, you know, a lot of the maturing of a market in a very, very, very short period of time. So I'm hoping that as we start to see East Coast markets flip the wreck or just start to open up licensing, that we can apply some of those principles from the you know the very competitive markets of California and similarly in Colorado to uh, the, the more protected markets on the East Coast. Yeah, a lot of that volatility would kind of be disheartening to um, a lot of people trying to build a business. So I'm curious, what what kind of kept you in the, in the space after you guys were... 
uh, after Dime was acquired by Ease? What was kind of your motivating factor to kind of stay on and after another successful exit, you know, and you're just hanging out in this really, really volatile industry? Like, were you just here to try to weather the storm? What was the thought process? Yeah, I mean, I still always believed in the um, e-commerce and delivery thesis within within cannabis, um, and so this was, um, you know, really kind of the bigger extension of it. Um, Ease always had a very, very strong brand in California. Um, it was the brand that was kind of synonymous with with cannabis delivery, um, and so, you know, when I was looking at that opportunity and looking at states like New York, New Jersey, which um, you know at the time we had a, a fairly large uh, policy team. Um, and they were really active in helping write the rules and regulations um, of delivery um, because cannabis is really, really hard. Cannabis retail is really, really hard. And then you have to add, if you add delivery on top of that, you're a cannabis retailer plus a last mile logistics company. And it's just like, you know, on extra hard mode. Um, and so as we were looking at California, though, the model clearly works. There's a really good product market fit between consumers. Cannabis has pretty much always been a delivery product. Um, but the business side is, is still really, really hard, right? Like you, you fight all the tough regulations. You have to have all the, the crazy nuances of running a cannabis business. Plus that, that fact that we have over a thousand drivers, um, who are on the road, who are W2 employees, um, that we you know, have to manage and keep safe to make sure that they're you know, happy. Um, and that's just a really, really tricky thing to balance, but he's got it right in a market that's very, very big. And it's really, really hard. And so I really believe that, you know, as New Jersey, as New York uh, were opening up, as Colorado was opening up for delivery for the first time, that was one of the big reasons why we merged with Green Dragon is that Colorado also was opening up for delivery. Uh, and we're excited by that prospect. Florida allows delivery and we're excited by that prospect. Um, and so just thought that we could piece together a, a cohesive national story um, that is differentiated and that it focuses on delivery, which has a you know, very high technical barrier. Um, we have a product and engineering team of about 50 people. Um, so you're you're kind of making all of these hard things and putting them together. But um, at the end of that, I think that that's where we have a very unique opportunity because it is so hard um, to be good at, at so many things. I wouldn't say that we're excellent at all those things. In, in California, we don't, we are not vertical. Uh, we do not grow. We do not manufacture. We do have some of our own private label brands, um, but we do not, um, uh, we do not currently you know, producer or manufacturer products here. Uh, and so I would say that going back in time, it was really like, okay, is, am I still excited by this opportunity and what inning are we in? Um, you know, I think we're, we're still in a very, very early innings. Um, I think this market, like I said, develops incredibly fast. Anytime a state opens up, it basically gets to an early maturity in three or four years. I, I think we've got lots and lots of years to run as, you know, consumer adoption picks up and, and the stigma falls and the business normalizes in terms of consumer habits. Um, but it's still just an incredibly interesting industry and, and incredibly complicated um, kind of problem to, to keep solving over and over again. So it's one I'm, I'm super excited about. During COVID with the infrastructure challenges and all the other lockdowns that are going on, was that a big spike for your business? Did you have the resources needed? Did you see a big uptick in delivery? And has that kind of continued? Um, so yeah, COVID naturally there was... It, it was a bit of a two-sided coin. One, yes, we saw a huge influx of volume. Um, it also happened to coincide when we were making our pivot. Um, so prior to January 2020, which is when Ease acquired the, the, the assets of Dime, we had never been plant touching. So we weren't technically running our operations. We were running exclusively through third parties. 
Um, in January 2020 was the first time where we took over operations. Um, at the time, we had about 100 employees. Um, so through the course of 2020, um, we were really focused on acquiring licenses um, and um, transitioning from that partner, partner network to our own first party um, delivery network. Um, over the course of 2020, we scaled from 100 employees to over 1,000. Um, and that was a lot of transitioning of, of existing employee bases from third parties. So it's it was a little bit smoother than it sounds. That was just an incredibly difficult time to be managing. Plus, yes, we saw a massive um, increase in volume, um, but we also saw a massive increase in competition. Um, so there was those kind of two things at play there is that, yeah, as the biggest brand, we probably saw a bigger lift than you know, probably our next five competitors combined. But we were well positioned and in, in, you know, kind of taking advantage of, of that shift. And we've seen it through various waves. Um, but also every single brick and mortar retailer got in the delivery business as well. Um, so it became a lot more um, competitive uh, kind of overnight. Um, and so I think, you know, also brands like Dutchie started to be able to provide software to actually, you know, do e-commerce better kind of right, at, right around that time as well. Um, and so they were really able to empower a lot of, you know, kind of smaller brick and mortar retailers to, to kind of stay alive and stay afloat um, during that, that kind of complicated time. So COVID was definitely good for the delivery business. It was also a very complicated time in our, in our history. Um, we have seen some of that naturally kind of fade, um, but it's also interesting just to see the California market specifically as in like, I think the fourth or fifth consecutive sequential decline. Um, so the entire market has kind of come off um, the COVID peak as people have gone back outside and, you know, kind of re re returned to normal consumption habits. And so that's been a, just another challenge. So it's a little bit hard to parse out if it's delivery or just the, the general market and pricing kind of coming down. Um, and, and, you know, certainly the taxes in California remain super punitive and, and people as consumer wallets get hit with inflation, definitely, I think, turn back to the traditional market. Yeah, operating in California has always been challenging. So has, when you guys went out and uh, started acquiring licenses uh, throughout the supply chain, did you see kind of like a, a compounding optimization throughout the organization um, as you guys kind of brought these other aspects of the supply chain under one roof? Did you kind of see the benefits throughout the entire process or was it kind of just like cumulative little bit by little bit? Yeah, the way, I, the way I would describe my almost three years here at Ease, it's kind of really in three tranches. So in, in 2020, um, we were very, very focused on just really, really rapid expansion um, and um, bringing all of those uh, partners from third party in-house, right? Um, and by the end of the year in, in 2020, we had about 95% of the network was kind of wholly owned and managed by ourselves. In 2021, our, our board really challenged us and said, hey, if you're just a single state California operator, you're going to be dead in the water. We have to have a multi-state story. We have to go big in, in multiple states. Um, given the nature of delivery, um, first off, for delivery, you basically have 15% worse economics than the retail store because you have to deliver the product. And you do charge delivery fees, but that's not offset by the cost of delivery. So given that, anytime we go in a new state, we might be the number one retailer in California, but we obviously can't ship product to Michigan. Um, and so we have to pick states where we can actually feel like we can expand and get to scale because then we have to take our uniqueness and say to brands, hey, we're a very unique channel. We email 450,000 people a day um, you know, with your brand. You have to give us a little bit better pricing because otherwise, you know, coupled with 280 and everything else, we can't survive as a business. Uh, we can't be an effective marketing channel for you. 
Um, and so we had to be very focused when we went multi-state about getting businesses that were at scale and then ideally verticalized because then you actually have enough margin to, to do the delivery. Um, and so 2021 was, okay, get to multi-state. Um, and we found a great partner um, in Green Dragon who had a market leading position, not, not necessarily the leader, but in the top three or four in Colorado. Colorado was opening up for delivery. And they had a um, relatively recently acquired uh, license in Florida that was undeveloped, that they, ne they needed help with capital and they needed a partner for um, to develop. Um, and so 2021, we were really focused on getting multi-state. We actually ended up closing the transaction in January of 2022. And then this year has really been about focusing on the optimization of the business to, to get to circle back to your actual question, um, which was, you know, how do we make the business as efficient as possible? Because we acquired a bunch of stuff in 2020 and 2021, uh, we did have a ton of layers of additional uh, management. Um, and with the changing capital markets and the focus of get the profitability at all costs, that's really been what our 2022 has been about. It's been optimizing, making the organization much more efficient, fully integrating the two businesses so we don't have you know, two accounting or two legal or two finance staffs. Um, and so that's what this year has been about. Um, and then 2023 will really be a return to growth uh, as we'll have our full Florida operation up and running. Uh, it'll be supported by our manufacturing and cultivation facility. Um, we can actually have a full suite of products. And then as we get into 2024, it's hopefully Florida's flipping the wreck. Hopefully, at that point in time, we'll have you know, delivery up and running in Florida, um, and we can try and take the same market-leading position that we have in California and, and do it in Florida um, when it's flipping a wreck for, for delivery. So essentially, delivery is the same in each market, but Colorado has its own laws. California has its own laws. So is managing each one of those teams uh, pretty seamless, or do they kind of have to have their own little specialized bucket to, to be managed in those different uh, markets? It's very, very similar. I mean, that's the power of technology, right? It's that the technology scales. And I think what makes us unique in a regulated market is that you have to do technology plus regulations, um, which is what makes it really, really hard. Um, and it actually makes it hard for even um, other software providers to have the time or attention or focus um, to build that into their products. So the, the piece that scales is definitely the technology. So we have 50, like I said, 50 people on our product engineering team. To go to Michigan or Florida, we don't have to add more people. We just you know, continue to scale on, on what we built. Um, operationally, um, one of the big pivots that we made, and that's why we bought, started to buy retail stores in California, is that we really realized that a standalone uh, delivery operation... So in California, we have a concept called non-storefront licenses, which are basically like delivery-only licenses. While we had 14 of those, and every single one was profitable on a four-wall basis... Um, when you compare that to our two stores in California, uh, we have one in Orange County and one in San Diego. The stores plus delivery are very, very profitable because you get to share the security guards, the licensing fees, uh, the overhead. And so now we're moving to a much more kind of omni-channel approach um, where we have Ease, the delivery brand, and we have kind of Green Dragon, uh, the retail brand. Um, and we are specifically keeping them separate and distinct. Um, because they they do mean different things to to different customers. Um, Green Dragon comes out of coming out of Colorado, which had legacy had the legacy of being mostly vertical in most uh, retail op operations. Most retail operations in Colorado sell a vast majority of private label product. Um, it's it's not quite the same as Colorado and Florida is obviously the the other very extreme of everything you sell has to be produced and manufactured by yourself. And so we we are intentionally keeping the two brands separate because we still believe that delivery, you have to follow more of the Amazon endless aisle, 
you know, have a thousand products, um, have the best uh, available brands uh, on there, um, and then you follow the traditional retail strategy of you know, mixing in your own private label to, to increase margins. I was going to say, can those retail stores be used as like mini warehouse hubs almost too, to support the delivery? So then you're not transporting product as far, as far almost like a middleman sta- uh, yeah, middle so, station, if you will. Yeah, our ideal setup um, is that we basically have a single inventory room where we pick and pack and whether or not you're, you can effectively think of it like a restaurant, right? Once a ticket okay. is printed, uh, you pick and pack. And whether or not that ticket is printed and handed directly to a customer or handed uh, in batch to our um, our delivery drivers, um, it's all out of the same inventory room. So, just as a case study and as a as a delivery product, a lot of you know what investors get concerned about with delivery is can you make it profitable, right? And most people associate DoorDash or Uber, right? And you say, oh well, the unit economics it's really tough. You have to have a war chest. Um, my example I was like to point to is we're more like a Domino's pizza. Um, where we are, you know, setting up the supply chain. Uh, we have retail stores plus plus delivery. Domino's Pizzas is massively profitable. Um, you know, we can still do that. The the unit economics are really good. Our average basket size in California is about 130 bucks, including taxes, or 100 bucks um, uh, before taxes. Um, so we have enough of a basket size uh, to make each delivery very very profitable. We have. You know, 14 standalone delivery depots where we can say, hey, this is really profitable. But our ideal model is retail plus delivery um, because what you lack, you pick up in delivery, you pick up the, the scale per store. So in California, the average store, I think is like four and a half million in revenue. Our average dispensary is 11 and a half. Um, and it's not because we have a bunch of retail. We only have two retail stores. Uh, it's just because when you're doing delivery, you can service a radius that's sometimes 50 miles. Um, because we also have the ice cream truck model here in California. So that's really our, our focus is kind of pick, pick it up. But um, to use Colorado as an example, the, the rules are still um, different. Um, Aurora um, is you know, one uh, a city or a suburb of Denver where we've got um, two dispensaries. Aurora allows delivery. Denver is just turning it on. Um, and so until Denver really turns on uh, and all of the other suburbs around uh, you know, we'll, we'll probably kind of wait on the delivery opportunity in, in Colorado so we can kind of launch with with uh, you know full force. Um, because once again, you need scale in, in delivery in order to make it profitable. If you're doing 50 or 75 deliveries a day, it's just really, really difficult um, when you spread that out over a 12-hour day to make that uh, remotely profitable. Um, so you need to be doing 1.75 to two, del- two deliveries per driver hour um, in order to actually make delivery profitable. I want to go back to the conversation where you said the board challenged you to kind of to get wider scale. Did they say, hey, we, our expectations is you're going to spend X acquiring licenses over the next 12 months? Did they give you a time frame? That's not an easy conversation. Transactions like this take time. Like you were saying, you want to make sure there's synergies and there's optimization efforts. So, you know, from the moment they challenge you to kind of expand operations, how long does something like that take in order to acquire a business? And then what type of due diligence comes in? How do you make those decisions? Yeah, it's a great question. We've probably screened about 35 companies. Um, and so ease, because we have a very specific strategy, which is delivery first, right? That is our differentiator. We do believe that over a long enough time scale as a private MSO, you know, once we're able to kind of go public on a normal exchange, we do believe that having the um, tech first angle will um, be rewarding for our investors. Um, and so for us, it was really a matter of prioritizing what are the biggest states uh, that allow delivery um, and where 
you know, as a standalone technology and delivery company in California, we were not profitable. Um, so we were looking for other profitable operations that complemented what we did not do in California. Um, and so, as I said before, we in California only did delivery. We did not do any cultivation. We did not do any manufacturing. And so when we were screening for partners, it was, okay, we're going to have to add retail. Does somebody know retail? Um, does somebody um, know manufacturing and cultivation? Um, and um, we also expect prices to drop over time. So can they do that profitably in a more mature market? Um, and as we were screening those you know, 35 plus companies, uh, we really found that Green Dragon had the, the perfect mix of everything Ease did not have. Um, and we know, uh, you know I, I will say, you know, as the CEO of the company, I have a very strong cultivation and production team. I have a very strong president of operations. Um, that is not my core skill set, right? Like I will say that they are the experts. Uh, we set up the strategic framework. We and we make sure that they're hitting their KPIs. But like they they know much more about cultivation and production than I will ever know or pretend to know. Um, and so for us, that was what was important. Though is how do we fill in the gaps, um, and then how do we get into markets that are big and allow delivery. Um, and so as we were screening for partners, Green Dragon was just very very rare and unique in that they had very profitable Colorado. Um, and massive expansion opportunity in Florida. Um, but because Colorado didn't actually historically allow outside investment, um, Colorado has been very, very challenged for people to make that jump. Um, and so it just happened to be a very, very good uh, one plus one equals three opportunity for us. So that was really the, you know, the high level framework. And then you know, we were able to bring additional capital um, to the table, um, which is what made um, the transaction really appealing from uh, the Green Dragon standpoint. Um, and so kind of from the time that we first met them to signing a term sheet was probably about two months. Um, it took us about five months to get through the actual merger agreement. And then it took us another seven months uh, to actually close the transaction. So um, as you guys know, in cannabis m and um, you also have to go through layers of regulatory approval. Um, Colorado specifically is very, very uh, complicated in that you have to get every local municipality to approve. Um, and so for us with 16 stores that are across 10 different municipalities, you have to get 10 different cities to approve. And that includes wonderful mountain towns like Aspen and Telluride, um, which this just isn't very high on their, um, on their priority list. Um, oh. So it just took a little while to get approval. Uh, the state of Florida was actually much faster because it's just a single top-level state approval. So that happened in about 60 days. Yeah, it turns out right there. Like, that's great, Corey, but we'll get to it when we get to it. So you guys can just be real patient with that. So continuing on that path, is there data trends that your team has that kind of apply from a state-to-state -state standpoint? Is there something like you've noticed that certain brands move really well from a delivery standpoint in California, and you're thinking the demographics or the psychographics might be similar in Colorado, and so it makes synergies? Can you kind of expand on that a little bit? First, I would say it's most clear in specific categories. Um, so probably the only brands that we carry mostly consistently um, are edibles. Um, and that's generally speaking, Wild, Giva, um, and Wana, I would say, are like the three that we kind of carry across markets. Um, there's not really a lot of flour um, and pre-rolls, um, you know, brands that, that you know, cross state lines. We do carry Wonder Bread in California and Michigan. Um, Colorado is very, very, like I said, very, very uh, house flour focused. Um, so it's, it's just a very different market. So I would say you definitely see similar edibles brands winning in, in different markets. From a format perspective, I think California is probably on the leading edge. Um, one of the things that's very um, 
useful as an e-commerce company. We have tons of first-party data. Uh, we saw the, the shift away from eighths to bulk formats uh, very, very early. Um, and a lot of our private label products are focused on more bulk for- formats. So, you know, uh, quarters and, and halves and, and full ounces. So that's something that we are leaning into in, in Florida specifically. Uh, we have a $99 ounce in Florida, which is actually an, an indoor ounce. So, you know, you hear a lot about price compression in Florida. Um, price compression is happening. Price compression will continue to happen. In California and Colorado, we have $10 rates. So, you know, we are setting up our cost structure to be able to sell $10 rates profitably. Um, and so I would say that what we've noticed is like definitely those larger formats are becoming more and more in vogue across markets. You'll definitely see that in East Coast markets as, as they develop. Um, ultimately, especially on delivery, because we have that focus on getting higher basket sizes, uh, we kind of saw that trend earlier, right? You're getting giving back more value to consumers by going to larger formats. Um, and you know, ultimately for us, we're getting the right kind of unit economics to, to actually be able to deliver profitably. Um, also drink category, like we saw very early um, shifts in the drink category, uh, including, you know, actually, so Canon, obviously Can in California sells incredibly well. They've done an amazing job in the brand with a low dose kind of two milligram format. Uh, we've actually seen the opposite work very well. And, and historically you had the hundred milligrams. Now we've seen the 10 milligram form, format work really, really well also, but drinks is still a small category. Vapes in the half gram to gram transition. Uh, we saw that very early. We almost sell practically no half gram vapes um, anymore. It's all full gram vapes. So I think that you can take those and a lot of it just kind of skating to where the pocket is going to go. So when we're thinking about our Florida strategy, it's like, hey, this is what our, a mature rec market is going to look like. How do we set up our business to make sure that when that happens, we are we can be very profitable um, and meet the consumer uh, needs. Um, and we kind of know what they're going to want. Right, like the flower quality and everything might be a little bit different by state, but we know what they're ultimately going to want, which is cheap weed and lots of it. Um, so that's where we've kind of really focused our efforts. Um, but yeah, I think that's the advantage of going from competitive market to uh, more protected market is that you kind of know uh, after the knife fight plays out, you know what what the consumers want and where do where do you have to set up your business to get the actual economics of the end product there. Um, which is what we focus a lot on. I think that's what makes, at least in my opinion, you, your team such a strong partner going to these other markets and saying, we've got this data, we understand consumer behavior and we can provide recommendations so that instead of having to follow trends that happen in two months, we can tell you now the expectation is people are going to want more flour at different at different price points. And this is what we can show you. And you know, once they they recognize that that value add comes on, I think you know partnering again and maybe lowering their price is is probably a challenging conversation. But I think that's a a good one to start with saying this is our value proposition for you know pushing the relationship forward. Yeah, and I mean lowering their price too is just probably integrating that same technology into their cogs, and it would cost them a ton of money to to invest it to try to generate that kind of information. You know what I mean? So just hey, this is what we pay from a cogs perspective. Well, you're priced that much, and everyone's happy. I was just saying, I mean, when you go kind of the other way and and you kind of build up from the cost to cultivate, you know, through, it's relatively similar similar across markets, right? Like, obviously, if you have the ability to do outdoor, you know, you might produce at, you know, 50, 50, 100 bucks a pound. You could do greenhouse, it might be 250 to 500. Uh, And if you're indoor, it's 500 to 1,000, right? And those costs are relatively similar across markets. You know, you can be on the high end or the low end, but 
you know, ultimately, if you're producing for $1,500, $1,600 a pound, you're just not going to stay competitive. Um, and so I think that, you know, we can really work backwards and say like, hey, this is where the price is going to get. Um, hopefully, you know, it's not quite as extreme as like in Oregon, uh, the price compression. I think hopefully we see a little bit more of, you know, California is kind of trying to hold on to that, you know, 20-ish dollar price point for, um, you know, for, and uh, you know, 100 milligrams of edibles or for uh, a pre-roll pack or for an ape. We're trying to hold that, um, and we're hoping that you don't see it, you know, kind of creep down to, you know, the the ten or sub ten dollar level, just because ultimately it's this is a business. We we do need the business to to run and, and work and be able to pay for all the fixed costs that you know if we were slightly less regulated it might be a little bit lower. Um, but yeah, it's definitely interesting to see. During the transition to a, a plant touching company, what was one of the hardest parts that kind of surprised your team? Something that going in you thought it wasn't giving me an issue, and then when I actually got started, you were like, "This is an absolute nightmare." I think where we've taken the most lumps is actually in spinning up our private label business, um, and I think because we got caught in the whipsawing of um, of the market as well. Um, so I think that's probably where we've taken the most lumps um, on the delivery side. We were set up in a way where we were pseudo consultants on the on the operation side. Um, and because we're a technology company, we always had a, a boatload of data. Um, so I would say the operational piece, although it was a very challenging transition, as you can imagine, trying to, from a corporate perspective, trying to scale from 100 to 1000 people in, you know, in basically nine months. So that was really challenging. But we had the formula. Um, I think where we've definitely made uh, some wrong investments or, or gotten a little bit upside down, um, was on some early private label bets that we made. Um, and that's because of when we made them, like I said, in, in 2020 in the California market, there was a real uh, supply shortage. Um, and so we elected not to go out and buy a grow or do, do things. So I would say the, the size of our bets were, were a lot smaller, um, but certainly got upside down with you know some contracts with, um, with cultivators. Um, and I think that has been the hardest thing, which is like, it's really hard to be a delivery company and a brand company and a producer. Um, it's just really hard to be excellent at multiple parts of the supply chain, which is, like I said, why when we went to go acquire a business, we said, all right, we better get somebody who actually has these skill sets and have built this over the last 10 years um, because we're not going to build that in nine months. Like It's just way too hard. Um, it's an entirely different skill set and being a, you know, uh, a manufacturer or being uh, a cultivator. So... Um, I would say that the yeah the hardest piece was probably more on actually being a cannabis company, which is producing products, than um, just the purely delivery and retail side because we were pseudo acting as that already for you know the initial six years of the company. Yeah, and it turns out that each state operates a little differently. So some of those those aspects that you you've learned in California don't apply to certain states, which just make it another layer of challenges and then the fun complexity of cannabis. So. Going forward, what's the future roadmap look like for Ease? Is it is it continued expansion in new states? Can you take us through that process? Yeah, I think right now um, our focus is in our existing markets. Um, you know, we were and remain excited for New Jersey, New York as opportunity sets, um, but because of the state of the capital markets, under the assumption that there's basically no capital coming in this market um, until we see some sort of federal um, catalyst, uh, which you know hopefully now that, that Schumer's introduced his bill, we can uh, get that kind of back out of the way and, and, and maybe get some uh, smaller wins. Um, but until that happens, we basically have to get the profitability. Um, we are uh, not yet a profitable company. Um, so we have to get the profitability. Um, and the only way to do that is by getting bigger in our three core markets. Uh, Florida is really the, the 
you know, main driver. We've, we've invested a lot of um, CapEx in our, our production facility. Um, but until we um, get to profitability, there's not really um, any reason to go in a new state because every time you go in a new state, um, delivery is very fairly capital light to set up, but then you do have you know, recurring investments in marketing um, that make it you know, unprofitable for you know, probably the first 12 to 18 months of any market. Um, and so in, any, in order to scale it up, um, you really have to have kind of available cash and, and cash flow to do that. Um, so I think we will be a bit more patient. And so, you know, we're excited for New York, New Jersey to turn on, but it's going to be very, very messy at the beginning. Um, obviously, Jersey's you know, off to, I think, a good start. There's just no retail locations yet. So, um, you know, the, if you were there and you, you had a medical license, uh, you're you know, obviously doing very, very well. Um, that's the benefit of being in markets early. Um, but I think, you know, delivery is a different nut to crack. Um, and so we don't think that the opportunity set evaporates overnight, right? Like looking at DoorDash and at Uber Eats, it's not like food delivery wasn't around for, you know, hundred <laughs> plus years. Um, and, you know, they were still able to take massive market share very quickly uh, because ultimately consumers really appreciate the value proposition. So for us, I think it's uh, focusing on getting profitable in 2022 and early 2023. Once we're once we're profitable, then we'll look at you know New York, New Jersey, either through partnership or trying to you know win licenses and um, set up our footprint there. Yeah, I mean, uh, I bet Domino's is profitable and they're just selling pizzas. Can you imagine if they got to to deliver pizzas with one hundred and thirty dollars basket size? Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean that, that's the great thing. You, you see that the basket size is there, and ultimately it's like two point seven three items per cart. So it's not like you know, it's not a massive amount per cart to get there. Um, unfortunately, the 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 taxes you know yeah. are crazy in California. Um, Someone should, should do something you know, about that. I know it's, <laughs> it's a small it's a small win the cultivation tax being removed. Uh, yeah. But it, it's also just it's not just like the known taxes. It's all the regular all the yeah. regulatory tax burden that that goes along with it. Um, and you know the fact that we basically get taxed on every single service that we have to use as a company um, you know, by paying higher rates as well. So. There's, uh, there's lots of hidden taxes in there. Thank goodness 280E is, isn't out there. So uh, write off all those expenses. <laughs> Even worse as a delivery company. So. <laughs> what is one fact or statistic operating in the cannabis industry that most wouldn't know? I think investors have felt the pain over the last uh, you know, 15 months. Um, it's been challenging for, for all of us. Uh, but I think most people assume that like cannabis is just an easy business. Um, uh, product sells itself. Um, and... The nuanced regulations by city, by state, um, just make it so incredibly complicated that you you really do have to have just an outstanding team um, who is you know focused on staying compliant um, and, and running really really lean operations in order to, to have any chance of, at being profitable and successful. Um, and and what the term we use is we're, we're trying to go from investor funded to self funded. Um, and that's a really, really hard thing. It's not necessarily about making huge profits. It's about just, can we make this business sustainable for the long term? Um, because a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of businesses in California, a lot of businesses and, you know, a lot of markets are, are going to fail um, as, you know, the tax burden is just too high, as the cost to, to operate is too high. But I think people think that it's an, a, a relatively easy industry and that could not be farther from the truth um, as anybody operating it knows. Um, it's a, a business on you know, really on steroids of how difficult it is to, to operate. Um, and so I think that that's just something that, that, you know, isn't necessarily intuitive until you live it every day. Um, and the fact that every market is so, so different. Um, and, um, 
being able to get your arms around the differences by by market is, is what makes it both fun, uh, but also a challenge every day. Since you've been in the cannabinoid industry, what has been the biggest misconception? Biggest misconception, I would, I would still say, like just even in my own personal life, talking to people, going through it, um, is still just kind of social stigmas. Um, you know, people still have in their kind of mental model, like, you know, cannabis associates with laziness or, you know, any number of things. I mean, for me, um, you know, I'm a daily user. Um, I use, um, I'm, I'm primarily for sleep. Um, I have a two and a half year old daughter. I have a dog. I have a wife, all who are very active at night. Um, and so for me, I needed to be, you know, up and active at, you know, 630 in the morning, taking care of uh, my daughter before before the full work day. Um, and so I think that it's still the, the social stigma that comes with uh, cannabis. And I think that's what I'm just really excited about. Um, you know, as that's the opportunity, right? I think that where I'm saying, when I'm saying California is a mature market, it's, uh, you know, it's mature only in the sense of, you know, we're still in the very early innings and we've probably got another, you know, 50 to 100 years of growth ahead of us. Um, but you have to start to get cannabis in kind of everyday people's lives um, and, and so they can really see the, the benefit of it. So I still think the biggest misconception is just on uh, usage um, and uh, whether or not it's uh, value added to people's everyday lives or um, a detractor. And I, I'm very much in the, uh, it's very much a health and wellness product. Um, and I think that people will continue to real, realize multiple uses for um, any number of either medical or recreational purposes. Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation, what would it be? I think it's more of on the on the company side. Um, as a company, you really have to just focus, focus, focus. I think where we've, when we've struggled, it's because we're, we're trying to do too many things at once. Um, you know, for us, I think as, the more we just focus on just being uh, a delivery company in California or a retail business in Colorado, um, and, and having you know teams directly focused on that's where we've seen success. It's when we we're trying to do too many things at once that um, you know we see those things get done at you know fifty percent uh, success rates, and, and that's where we've had challenges. So you really got to say like, all right, this is what we're doing for this year. We're going to be excellent at that, and then we can reevaluate you know new markets and new states because those are you know uh, just going to be a challenge. Well said. All right, prediction time, Corey. It's twenty twenty seven. What will be the largest medium for consumers to get their cannabis? Retail, consumption lounges, or delivery? I want to say delivery, obviously. Um, I think by by share of all, it's still going to be retail. You know, you look at it, at, even in California, where we're the largest delivery, you know, delivery is less than 20% of the market. Um, and I think it's going to stay like that uh, in every market. Um, there's just too many local barriers, local restrictions to make delivery the, the by far the largest share. Um, however, I, I hope that we are the biggest delivery player in every market. Um, but yeah, it's still going to be a retail. I, I, consumption lounges are, is an interesting concept. Um, for one, like when I'm you know, recreationally consuming, um, I do, I actually really do like the 10 milligram drinks. Um, I, I really don't drink a lot of alcohol anymore. So I've, I've kind of replaced that as a, uh, as a consumer. So I definitely believe in the format. I just don't know that as a business model on its own, a consumption lounge is going to be a, you know, a, a huge part of the industry. Um, I think it'll be an, a, a niche and, and work. You know, maybe you have a consumption lounge or two that work in, in every city. I think New York's, you know, it'll probably work because they already, the kind of speakeasy concept already works and people just don't want to spend as much time in their apartments. 
Um, but most other cities, I, I don't see consumption lounges working particularly well in LA. I think there will, like I said, be a couple successful ones, but a very small share of overall retail sales. Funny that you said that you enjoy the beverage because according to Twitter, there's about eight and a half people total in the United States that consume cannabis beverages. So I'm glad that- Yeah, there's not many of them, but- uh, we actually, them are we, in this chat. We sell, I mean, we sell a lot proportionally. Um, we, I mean, we carry and sell a lot of can, a lot of wonder, um, a lot of Kazen. Um, so we do sell a lot of beverages, but it's still a very, very small percentage sure. of overall share. Um, it's also like early in an In some ways, it probably step. works better as delivery almost than, than in retail. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know that people in retail... They're like hidden too, usually. You know, they're like stashed back in the corner in a fridge. It wasn't like the... It's not like you walk into like a gas station, there's just like walls of refrigerator. Like the, it's a tiny fridge. It's like jammed in the corner. You know what I mean? So it's like hard to see. Drinks are tough, right? I just, I don't drink that many drinks because it's not, that's not how I was like, I grew up consuming cannabis either. I think that like, once you see like Gen Z mature more, I think that's when you'll see drinks kind of take off. But like my generation, we all grew up like buying cannabis from our drug dealer and smoking it. You know what I mean? There was no edibles. Like maybe you could get your hands on some butter or something, but. What's your uh, guess, Colin? What's my guess? I honestly Googled, I was wondering if liquor stores or bars do more revenue. Turns out it's not an easy Google. Uh, (laughs) I was trying to do a comparison. But I'm with Corey. I honestly think that the majority of people like to consume cannabis in the comfort of their house. Um, It's more of like a relaxing situation, right? As much as people want to try to come up with the next social cannabis beverage, I just think inherently cannabis is um, a substance that you typically consume to just relax on your own. And so I think that the majority of consumers will get their cannabis from delivery. What do you think, Brian? I was going to say delivery also. I think that as the industry matures, I think the stigma, unfortunately, will stick around. And I think there's a lot of people who will never feel as comfortable enough to go into a dispensary consistently. And I think it's easier for them from their phone, buy a couple of products, very seamless transaction. No one can spot them there. I, I think, unfortunately, with that social dynamic aspect, I think people still feel weird about that. So if they can get aspects delivered to their at home through their phone, it's an easy attempt. Plus, like for me... Delivery is awesome, right? Like know, right? Uber Eats, like all those things are so such a natural thing. And like, it kind of stinks now that I have to go to a dispensary and show my medical card, but I get all the situations and um, they have delivery, but it's just a little more restrictive and a little more challenging to even go through the steps to get it done. I mean, I'll pay for my delivery for the pizza or like my cookies from DoorDash, right? Like, right. and that's only $20, $30 worth of of stuff. Like, of course, I'm in, from like an investment perspective, it makes so much sense investing that money from a delivery if the basket size is so much larger, you know? The, yeah. The, the real challenges of what makes this business harder is things like marketing. We cannot advertise uh, any normal channels. So we can't advertise on Facebook. We can't advertise on Instagram. Um, that's like one of the major things. We can't take credit card. Um, so you don't have the normal consumer lock-in of like, hey, I have my favorite delivery platform and that's what I do. Like when you think about what made Uber successful, a lot of it was just seamless payments. Yeah. Right. Um, ease. So it was like easy. It was, ease. It was easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and that that is one of the things that people do not realize that um, you know, a lot of the building blocks of, you know, just basic e-commerce direct consumer. Um, is not available to us. Um, and so coupled with everything else that makes delivering cannabis hard, um, the fact that we can't even actually reach 
consumers um, as easily or cheaply as we would um, like to. Um, it's just another compounding factor of you know why this business is uh, a challenge, but also is why we should remain optimistic that when the when the time does come that there's a whole nother accelerant for delivery. Because I agree with you at the end of the day, people love delivery. Super simple. Uh, the cannabis is a great product to deliver. It's small, you know, drinks of the bulkiest thing was we we deliver. Um, but everything else is you know small and fits in a nice bag that can be handed to you just like your food. Yeah, when I have conversations with people like around here about that, they always go, why can't I have that? Or why can't I get that? And I was like, it's just not available. It's not allowed. And they're like, well, that's stupid. And it's like, yeah, we can all agree that it's stupid, but like just not how it works. And it's like, until we can get there, like companies like yourself are going to have to play more challenging games from a marketing standpoint. I can't even imagine the type of loopholes to try to jump through in order to build that brand awareness and credibility. Yeah, I mean, even you guys asked earlier about COVID. Um, and, you know, you would think that COVID would make, um, you know, the ability to explain delivery in every market and why it's needed, you know, real simple, but it, it's not, right? Illinois ex- Illinois explicitly prohibits delivery. Uh, Massachusetts allows delivery, um, but you have to have two drivers in the car and body cams. And when you're talking about, you know, $15 minimum wage, um, you know, that's at least $30 of just, you know, baseline labor costs, not including benefits, not including everything else to deliver a product and it's just the, the economics don't work at that point in time. You don't see your pizza delivery guy having, you know, a, a sidekick. Which would um, be weird if you did, right? <laughs> it would be weird. Um, <laughs> you know, they're going the other way. They're going with the, the automated uh, delivery with the robot. <laughs> so um, that, that's just one of the weird things about cannabis is even where there is, uh, where, even where it is allowed, it's still boxed into to weird regulations. So the regulations really have to align with, um, you know, the it actually being available to market. So, um, even if we're a little bit late to a market like you know New York or, or New Jersey, um, we still think the opportunities that will be there. Uh, we just gotta um, you know get to a point where we can fund the investment to to be the largest uh, uh, player in, in those specific markets. But right now, it's focused on our our three really core markets of California, Colorado, and Florida. So, Corey, for our listeners, they want to learn more and they want to get deliveries from Ease. Where can they find you? Ease.com, E-A-Z-E.com. Um, we're also available on the App Store. Um, unfortunately, uh, only doing delivery in California at this moment in time. Uh, but you can also shop at our retail stores, uh, Green Dragon, uh, GreenDragon.com, um, in Colorado and Florida. Um, and if you are in the Florida medical market, um, definitely come by and check out our, our stores. Um, they are now open for business. Like I said, we've opened uh, nine stores this year and expect to have 25 by the end of the year. Awesome. Congratulations. Thanks so much for taking the time, Corey. This was fun. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. 
So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.